What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. How's everybody doing tonight? Are you spooked? Are you scared? Are you getting goosebumps on your arm? Are the hairs on the back of your neck starting to stand? It's October, everybody. Ooh! Ooh! Spooky, spooky season. (laughs) We're excited, if you couldn't tell, about October. Right. And isn't this what it's all about? I mean, we do this all year round, but this is our moment. This is our element. It's time to thrive, you know? Yeah, this is the one time of the year where it's socially acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, so it's October, and this is the beginning of our month-long Halloween and horror celebration. I know this is the second time through October for a lot of you, and we're very grateful that you're still here with us, and we hope that there's some newcomers here as well ready to experience their first Halloween season the Fraternity way. And welcome and thank you for letting us be a part of your spooky season celebration. Yeah, so sit back and enjoy. We love having you here to celebrate Halloween and the spooky season of October. We hope you enjoy it because we're going to enjoy it talking about wonderful movies. And we're starting off... With quite the banger, we are covering tonight Dario Argento's Suspiria. We sure are. And it comes at a perfect time for me, actually, because I'm still in the midst of my hashtag 100 horror movies in 92 days challenge. And it just so happens that I've been watching a lot of Italian movies leading up to this. And when I think about it, I'm pretty sure. Suspiria is the movie that's most responsible for my love-hate relationship with Italian horror. I didn't discover Suspiria until I was about 15 years old. And it's worth noting that this wasn't early in my horror movie experience. I had been watching horror since I was six, but when I turned 15, it was definitely a time where I started to take my genre love to the next level. Mostly thanks to the opportunity I had with building the mom-and-pop VHS horror collection. Suspiria was one of the earliest entries into that collection. I do believe I did purchase Dario Argento's Phenomena first. It was under the title Creepers, which is an edited US version of the film. It did have a pretty kick-ass cover, but it also had Jennifer Connelly in it. And she was a huge crush of mine back then. Who didn't have a crush on her? (laughs) Even Bowie had a crush on her. (laughs) I remember liking Creepers. I'm pretty sure I had to have liked it enough because if I didn't, I'm not so sure I would have even bought Suspiria. Then again, Suspiria was a movie you would hear talked a lot about on message boards and horror sites back then, so I probably would have picked it up eventually. Either way, there I was, some 15-year-old gorehound, born and raised on the American slasher. So I sit down to check out Suspiria, and I think what spawned my love-hate relationship with Euro Horror the most 
besides those 90-minute runtimes feeling like four hours was the fact that this film made it impossible for me to know if I liked it or not. I couldn't tell how I really felt about it. On one hand, it delivered the gory bits, but at the same time I found it excruciatingly slow. At least when I was 15. And for years, I would find myself wanting to reevaluate this movie, but never being quite sure why. And yet, every time a new release of this movie came out, whether it was on DVD, Blu ray, or now 4K, I always had to have it. But again, I couldn't put my finger on why. Some art is just like that, you know? There's some stuff that maybe you don't immediately get, but you keep coming back to it. And it's not just movies, it's music, it's whatever. And it just has, you know, that it factor that you're like, let me like try to, yeah, like you said, reevaluate this and, you know, give it another shot. There's just some art out there that deserves to be digested more. It it takes, it has a longer digestion time, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great way of putting it because it wasn't until sometime in my 20s that I really started to appreciate this movie. I can unequivocally say that I love this movie today because Suspiria, if anything, is a nightmare caught on film like no other. And sure, it's a bit slow and it can be light on action, but it's also a movie that demands your attention. And it weaves quite a tale within the walls of some of the greatest interiors ever seen on screen. So with that, Danny, why don't we put our dance shoes on and figure out just what kind of strangeness is afoot at the Tans Dance Academy. But before that, I just wanted to say the number one place to keep up to date with everything that Fraternity is doing is over on Twitter. Our handle is at Fraternity. That's at Fraternity. Go follow us, like our tweets, retweet us, do all those things you do over on Twitter. We'd really appreciate it. And if you have any questions, comments, anything at all, you can email Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. We'd love to interact with you and respond to any questions you have. And that's it. Let's get right into the movie. So first off, why don't we talk about this opening scene and opening kill? Because I feel like we could dedicate an entire episode to this intro by itself. (laughs) You're certainly right about that. (laughs) So Susie Banyan has just arrived in Germany. And there's something brilliant about these shots of Jessica Harper walking. And they're spliced with shots of the sliding doors she's approaching. Like I said, this is a nightmare caught on film like no other. And it's these subtle choices in cinematography and editing that truly give it that feel. Oh yeah, I love the shots of the door opening and closing and it keeps getting closer and closer and it just feels more deadly every time it cuts to that door. For some reason, it just like unnerves you. (laughs) And then when Susie's outside, it's just an unreal amount of rain pouring down you know (laughs) right the darkest night of all nights 
Yeah, the thing about nightmares is they're unsettling, right? And the opening just throws so much at us. And Susie, she's a stranger in a foreign land. You've got that torrential downpour just raging. She gets a taxi with this unfriendly taxi driver. Not to mention there's a language barrier between them. And don't get me started on the soundtrack by Goblin. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you think of the soundtrack? Oh, man. I love it. I want this soundtrack on vinyl. I've recently got into uh, listening to music on vinyl on record, and I was like, man, having this would be amazing. This is easily, like, top 10 horror soundtracks for me. Immediately, I was like, oh, this is... So good. And, you know, we get like maybe the same two or three songs throughout the whole film, but you never get tired of them. And they always fit the scene so perfectly. It's just uh, amazing. You know, I uh, I love it. I can gush over it. (laughs) Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. So, yeah, it's up there for me as well, man. Such a good soundtrack. Plus... We're already getting bombarded by Argento's magnificent use of color. Just in the back of this cab, you know? Yeah, I feel like this opening scene just perfectly sets the mood and the tone of the entire film and kind of the structure of how the rest of the film is going to play out. And like you were saying earlier, these Italian films know how to make an hour and a half feel like two (laughs) and sometimes that can go against the film and Suspiria definitely feels longer than it is but I also don't mind that because we just kind of live in these moments in these scenes and get to really experience it like a nightmare like you said So I love this opening I think it's so well done and just establishing what this film is really going to be all together. Yeah, for sure. So Susie arrives at the dance academy, and she witnesses this student named Pat fleeing the school. And we see her yelling something at someone else inside, but we can't really make it out. And when Susie uses the call box, another student refuses her entry, so Susie's forced to take the cab to a hotel. But on her way to the hotel, she notices Pat making her way through the woods. And this bit has always stuck out to me because of the way she's making her way between all those trees. Like, the best way I can sum it up is it's delirium caught on screen. Just the way she's moving. (laughs) It's so otherworldly looking, you know? Yeah. I also love Susie just kind of like, staring and being like, am I really seeing this, you know? Yeah. Because I put myself in her shoes like, Would I really believe what I'm seeing with my own eyes if I saw that in real life? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, yeah, she's not really sure what to really think of what she's seeing. (laughs) We actually leave Susie here and join Pat as she arrives at an apartment building. Excellent location revealed too, using the reflection in the puddle on the ground. And it isn't until Pat steps into that puddle that we realize we've now joined her. I love that transition. We then get some not-so-subtle glimpses at this skylight as she makes her way through just an epic lobby. But once upstairs, her friend offers her the couch, and Pat's delirium is confirmed. 
this dialogue here gives us just enough information to let us know that there's some dark secret at the Academy, but literally gives us no hint as to what that could be. But now, Danny, we've reached the opening kill. Pat is alone in the bathroom, looking out of a window as she's sensing something. All of a sudden, she notices eyes staring back at her, and a hairy arm bursts through the window and grabs her. And you just have to love face smashed against the glass acting, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. It, she sells it. I mean, I don't even think she had to try to sell it. She's really getting smushed here. And, you know, in some movies, glass can just shatter like nothing. But I love here, you really feel the force of this unnamed arm trying to force Pat through this window. It's so gnarly and hard to watch. <laughs> oh, it's brutal for sure. Uh, I don't think we've seen this since Pumpkinhead last September. And yeah, I think I'm going to have to give Suspiria the edge with the face smashing <laughs> through the glass. Yeah, this one is like very uncomfortable to watch for sure just you know she's got that pig nose going on getting smushed <laughs> <laughs> so pat's friend is frantically running through the building screaming trying to alert any other residents of the attack going on and then we see pat getting assaulted up on the roof some very violent stabs here but there's something about this murder like it's brutal it's violent it's nasty Pat gets stabbed multiple times, and this actress sells the shit out of it. But despite the gratuitous violence, this scene just has poetry, you know? Totally, yeah. And you just, you know, these stabs, they seem to go on forever. They never end. This torture towards Pat is just eternal. <laughs> yeah, look, we know that film is art, right? So on some level, all kills in a horror film have artistic merit. But murder is rarely so explicit in its artistry as it is here. And we even get the shot where we can see through Pat's gashes and see her still beating heart take a stab directly into it. Oh, yeah, that was the moment I was like, oh, man, this kill, like, you know, went from like a seven to like a ten, like immediately. It's just like, <laughs> oh, that heart, you know. Yeah, that's just so unique and such an artistic interpretation of a stabbing. Like, it's as beautiful as it is grim. Yeah, one thing about this movie is like, it's totally art, you know. Like, there's a reason that Suspiria is so well regarded in the history of film and you know, scholars will recommend it for ages. And, you know, I think this kill here is one of the many reasons for that praise. Right on. And then after the penetration of her heart, Pat's head breaks through the skylight she's been laid upon. And we see Pat's friend witnessing this from the lobby. And she screams in terror as Pat crashes through the skylight completely. This wire noose she's been wrapped in stops her fall, and we see Pat's corpse hanging there, blood trickling down her legs in multiple streams. But then, there's the piece de resistance, Danny. 
the slow <laughs> reveal that Pat's friend has been killed by the falling glass. <laughs> yeah, if Pat's death wasn't enough to entice you, here's her friend with this piece of glass just embedded in her skull, splitting her head in two. It's just brutal. I have to ask, is this the best opening kill of all time? I mean, it's certainly up for debate. It would be in the running of the discussion, for sure. I mean, just opening scene in general, not even just for horror, but of any movies, it's just, I feel like it just totally captured me, and I was like, no matter what this movie has in store for me, like, I'm in, you know? I'm glued to my <laughs> seat now. <laughs> no phone, no no anything. <laughs> awesome. I got another question for you, though. Do you think dance academies lend themselves well as a setting for a horror movie? I mean, it's certainly unique. And I think the set design goes into a lot of making it seem grander and more interesting than maybe it is. But I mean, how many horror movies can you think of with the dance academy at its core so i think inherently it's it's different so i enjoy it yeah i can only think of one other time that i've seen it and that's a movie called dance macabre but it worked really well there too so i'm inclined to say <laughs> yes to my own question <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think yeah it's definitely an interesting premise so susie goes to the academy the next day and meets Miss Tanner. And Miss Tanner just may be my favorite character. <laughs> I couldn't help but think of the movie Drop Dead Fred, where he calls the mom the mega bitch. Mm -mm. And Miss Tanner has all the qualities you would want from a mega bitch. She's just so stern and rigid. I really like this character. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I might have to agree. She might be my favorite, too, because I just loved watching her and yeah, just her sternness. And she's always on the verge of blowing up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like you would be very tense talking to her. And most mostly everybody is tense talking to her. But man, she just makes every scene she's in. So, uh, yeah, I think she's so good. You gotta love the mega bitch. I mean, it's <laughs> it's unavoidable. <laughs> we also meet Madame Blanc, the director of the Academy. And I just want to say here that I remember this movie playing really slow after the opening kill, but I'm actually kind of surprised by how lean it is now to me. Like, we really don't have a whole lot of characters to worry about. There's only two other girls at the Academy that have any relevance to the story. There's also this young man who takes a liking to Susie, but at a certain point, they just seem to drop that angle, so we're not going to waste any time on that. And then, besides the two other students, who realistically, only Sarah is the important one, you have the women that run the dance academy, and that's it. I was even surprised by how little dance class moments there were before the story really starts to get going. I could have sworn this movie dawdled way more than it actually <laughs> does. 
I guess that just speaks to the age I first watched it, you know? Yeah. I agree. Um, this movie definitely kind of gets right into it and doesn't really dilly-dally with much dancing at all. And I think the reason it might feel longer, maybe on your first watch, or if you hadn't seen it in a while, is because the movie does keep a lot of what's going on away from you, and you really are just kind of living through Susie's eyes and what she knows is what you know as a viewer. So I think that want to know more makes the movie feel a little longer and you're kind of getting strewn along and you're like, Oh, I want to know what's going on here. But once you know, I think uh, you can kind of dissect the movie and its scenes and take it scene by scene and really analyze it and enjoy it piece by piece. Yeah, I love the way you put that because I wanted to mention how when Madame Blanc is welcoming Susie to the school, she welcomes her on behalf of the directress who we're told is traveling abroad. And I do feel like this line is a little too easy to miss. Like the directress is a very important character. And I think missing this line when I was younger led to a lot of confusion. Like, to be completely honest, I missed it on my first watch for this episode. And it's like... Yeah, especially later when it's like, that's the directress sleeping behind us. And you're like, okay, why is she important? <laughs> but she really is very important to the overall story. But it's so subtle. Yeah, you easily can miss that. If you miss that line about the directress... It's going to throw you for a bit of a loop because, yeah, once you get into the bit where they're talking about the directress and why she's gone, I was like, when the hell did they mention that? You know, and it wasn't until I watched this again and again that I was like, oh, it's right here, you know? So we briefly meet Sarah and we meet a girl named Olga, too, who, due to the fact that her room at the school isn't ready, Susie's going to have to board with Olga for a while. And Susie also learns about the murders and she informs Madame Blanc and the police that she saw Pat fleeing the school the night before. But we're very quickly off to the next day. And the next day, Madame Blanc informs Susie that her room is ready. But now Susie would rather stay at Olga's apartment. So it isn't long before this cooking lady and Madame Blanc's nephew clearly put a spell of some sort on Susie. As she's passing by them in a hallway. And this causes Susie to pass out in class as blood pours from her mouth and nose. And just like that, Susie is now staying at the academy. Very convenient. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's another great thing about this movie is, you know, when you have those moments in life where you may be dealing with changes, you may have a lot going on a very busy schedule, a lot is on your plate. And there usually comes a moment where you stop and ask yourself, like, what the hell is going on? Like, what am I doing? That's exactly the kind of situation Susie Banyan is in the entire runtime of this movie. And they do a great job of transferring that energy to the viewer. Yeah, make no buts about it. Susie is definitely feeling weird about everything that's going on and has gone on since she's reached the Academy. But it's like, 
what can you really do? You just kind of have to go and roll with the punches. <laughs> yeah, I think the best way to put it is it keeps you off balance as it keeps Susie off balance. And that just aids the nightmarish tone of the whole thing. Right. So this coven man, <laughs> they like have Susie under their thumbs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Coven sounds like oven, man. Yeah, man, that's not cool, man. It's a coven. <laughs> I had to get an American movie reference in there for you, Danny. Thank you. One of my favorites, pretty sure it's one of Sean's favorites, uh, shout out to Mark Borchardt. <laughs> we love you here on Fraternity. <laughs> so you know what's next, though, Danny? It's a maggot dance party. Bro, what is it with Italians and maggots, though? Like. It just are they just easy to come by over there or what? You can't tell me no maggots were harmed in the making of this movie. <laughs> Do they count as animals? <laughs> I don't think so. So there's a maggot infestation due to some rotten food. And this is going to lead to the scene that reveals the directress. Because they put all the girls in this dance room with cots and they put sheets up as makeshift walls and suddenly this shadowy figure lays down in a mattress outside of the sheets and the girl sarah recognizes these weird snores they're very peculiar snores and she's heard them before and she knows they belong to the directress i bet that directress has a wicked toenail dude <laughs> <laughs> You gotta love this bit, though, right? Like, you've got these sheets. The entire room is bathed in red. And you see the mysterious shadow of the directress lay down. And it's a really creepy shadow. And it's right behind the cots that Susie and Sarah are laying on. You can only imagine what kind of nightmare is literally separated from them by a piece of cloth. Right. You can kind of almost make out what's laying behind them. But at the same time, it's a little abstract and you're like, eh, maybe I can't. And like I was saying earlier, like if you miss that director's line, you can kind of take this scene as like, what the hell is going on here? But I just love Sarah's journey into like kind of piecing together what's really going on and trying to get Susie on the trail too. But, you know, Susie's uh, getting poisoned more or less here. and kind of out of it <laughs> right you said it man the mystery is well underway at this point Susie's being drugged by her prepared meals but her and sarah piece together that the teachers don't leave the school at night like they supposedly do and so they decide to map out their footsteps to figure out where exactly in the school they're going and that's all well and good, but it's about time for another kill, wouldn't you say? And another unique kill at that. Oh yeah. And this kill comes in the form of a blind pianist that got fired from the school because his seeing eye dog bit the evil little nephew of Madame Blanc. And we see him walking through a rather large and deserted town square. His dog starts to bark at something, so he stops. And I just have to ask, like, 
Who chose to film this bit with these extreme wide shots? And do you love them as much <laughs> as I do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. They're great. It's really brilliant because you don't know if these are supposed to be some sort of supernatural voyeur shots. Because, again, we still don't know what we're dealing with here. Or did they just make these decisions for the hell of it? Were they like, hey, let's go put a camera over there, you know? <laughs> yeah, again, this movie is just full of unique shots. But it's never amateur, you know? It always feels masterful and full of purpose, which just makes the movie feel so whole. Yeah, again... It's choices like this that give Suspiria the nightmare quality that it contains. I will say, though, there's not much poetry in this kill. Just a vicious dog <laughs> attack as the seeing eye dog turns on its owner and gets a hold of his throat and rips it out. Is the dog puppet Suspiria's low point, Danny? I think it was sold pretty well, personally. All right. I just had to ask because there were definitely moments where I was like, that's a puppet. <laughs> that's a dog. That's a puppet. That's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're looking, you can tell, but I never thought it broke my uh, suspension of disbelief. Right on. So the next day, Susie's starting to put together what she overheard the night of her arrival. And she informs Madame Blank that she heard Pat say the words secret and iris. And the fact that she relayed that information to the teachers does not sit well with Sarah. And we learn that she knows a bit more than she's been letting on. She was the one Pat was yelling to. And it was also Sarah that refused Susie entry that night. She tells Susie that she has some of Pat's notes. And that she's informed only one other person about all of this. And Sarah is now worried that the hunt is going to be on for any accomplices of Pat. And Sarah would be right. <laughs> <laughs> and if it wasn't obvious that Susie was being drugged by her nightly meals, it's definitely apparent now, as Sarah desperately attempts to arouse her by informing her that the notes have been stolen from her room. But with Susie incapacitated and someone approaching, Sarah decides to make a run for it. And this is a great sequence. Sometimes you don't know where the soundtrack ends and the sound effects begin, and I just love that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the red and green illumination just like really shines here in this uh, scene with Sarah. I love it, you know. Oh yeah, I love it <laughs> it's too. Just a, it's such a spectacle to watch. Yeah, Argento, well, in a lot of Argento's work, he uses color brilliantly to accent a scene, but here he literally bathes the scene. And you're <laughs> right. Like it looks so marvelous, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like, it was here when I kind of realized like, oh, like he's using reds and greens to like act as darkness. Like, you know, Sarah can't see shit in this scene, but we as a viewer can see because we're viewing it in this artistic way. And it was just like, it just, it just kind of blew me away. Just the creativity behind the whole scene. And then just got me thinking about the entire movie. I was like, man, this is just something special, you know, 
whether you find this boring or not, like Suspiria just really is so unique. And I love that. I love a unique movie. (laughs) Definitely. I'm with you 100% on this one. (laughs) Sarah does wind up getting attacked and we get a great bit of her spinning away from her attacker while smashing through glass. And then she locks herself in this storage room. And I really love this eerie shot of her kneeling by the door. And we see the assailant sliding a straight razor through the crack in the door and then attempt to undo the latch. Awesome addition in an already tense sequence. And then Sarah uses some luggage to get to and escape through this small window that leads to another room. But when she jumps down to the other side, she tumbles into a room that is just full of bundle upon bundle of barbed wire. Is this not the first saw kill? (laughs) (laughs) Good call. Also, I don't know if it was planned or not, but when that small uh, luggage carrier like buckles underneath the weight of the bigger cases (laughs) cases <laughs> is so like oh it's just like oh shit <laughs> you know just a little moment i don't know if that was planned or not <laughs> but it's so good either way <laughs> speaking of moments how about that throat slice oh man i mean suspiria just keeps knocking it out with these moments you know this throat slice easily top five come on how could you not put it there just up close and just it feels so gnarly and real (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so with sarah gone and the teacher's giving these unconvincing answers Susie decides to call sarah's friend frank mandel played by the always wonderful udo kier and this is the guy sarah said she had confided in and i will be honest This scene basically lays out everything on a silver platter for you if you somehow haven't picked up on the fact that it's a coven (laughs) of witches at the Dance Academy yet. Personally, I've always found this scene a little jarring or just maybe just out of place, right? It's more or less to get us on the way to our finale. And I mean, it's Udo Kier, so I was happy to see him again. I couldn't complain. (laughs) Right. Good call. You know, because this does pretty much lead us to the finale, right? And I, I will say now that there's another great example of how simple choices can really elevate an entire film because... When Frank and Susie are talking, we get these great shots of their faces. And the only thing you can see is the sky behind them. And often Susie's hair is blowing in the breeze. I thought it was just a very interesting way to frame what is basically a conversation on a park bench. Yeah, it just goes to, it goes to show you can film your exposition in an interesting way and, you know... The general audience will still pick it up. And I love that shot when it zooms in on their reflection in the window behind them. Yeah, that is great too, yeah. You know, it just keeps you interested visually, you know? You gotta balance the visual and the storytelling element of your film. And I felt here, yeah, it 
it might be a little jarring and it might be a little exposition heavy, but at the same time, I still think it's just as interesting as the rest of the film. Yeah, not only does this film play out like a nightmare, but even this mundane sequence is given a dreamlike quality. Right. And yeah, it is just visually interesting. So I definitely dig it now. But beyond that, the gist of what is discussed here is the school was founded by a witch who then presumably died and her favorite pupil took over. But we all know the directress is really this, I forget what they called her, the Black Queen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The directress is this ancient witch and all of the other teachers are members of her coven. And I do really enjoy the explanation of witches here as negative beings whose goals are to attain great personal wealth from others, but they say they can only do that by doing harm. And I dug that. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting way to uh, deal with how a witch would go about their uh, (laughs) bidding. And it makes sense, too. Like, you know, you can have power and wealth, but you can only earn it through negative means. So it's... It's a, yeah, definitely an interesting take on it. And I liked it. And we do get some subtle references early on in the film to that taking place. But yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah, we also learn that the coven is very reliant on the strength of the leader. Like without the leader, the head of the snake is basically cut off. So with all of this information... It's time for Susie to put that detective cap on and figure out the mystery of the Tans Dance Academy once and for all. So Susie forgoes her poison dinner, and then she gets attacked by a rather chunky bat. <laughs> all right, never mind the dog puppet, Danny. This is the low point of Suspiria. <laughs> yeah, come on. How can you make fun of the dog when the bat is here? <laughs> hey good smushing though you know you don't get to see it but well it's just nasty you know though this is just proof that less is more you know just imagining that bat getting its gut squished (laughs) its brain squished like ooh, that was enough to make me like oh god that's that's nasty and that bat was ready to (laughs) pop dude (laughs) he was full of blood (laughs) so after all of that Susie uses Sarah's notes to trace the footsteps of the teachers to Madame Blanc's office. And in the office, we see three irises on the wall. And Susie now remembers what Pat said at the beginning of the movie. And it pertains to a secret passage triggered by the blue iris. She enters the secret passage and walks through this amazing hall that is just lined with golden incantations written in multiple languages. And I just have to take this moment to say, I've never seen this pop like it does on 4K. I know I've spoken of my love-hate relationship with this movie, but I've still seen it around a dozen times, if not more. On practically every format that it's been offered on. And it really is breathtaking in 4K. It's cliche to say it's like seeing it for the first time, but. It really is. So if you're listening, do yourself a favor. If you love this movie, 
and you support physical media, go pick up this disc. I think this movie is a great one to put on on Halloween night, whether you're by yourself, with relatives, or at a party. I mean, shit, those primary colors are going to light up your room. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right. But yeah, I just had to say, like, this was the first time I watched my 4K. I've had it for a while, but it's a real winner. It's a knock your socks off presentation, and I highly recommend it. I am a total believer of 4K making things just pop and making you feel like you're seeing it for the first time just in the clarity, but also keeping that artistic merit intact. So awesome. It was a far cry from that original previous rental VHS I got. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) So further down the hall, Susie's worst fears are realized when she comes across Madame Blank, Miss Tanner, and all the other ghoulish workers of the Academy literally putting a hex on Susie. And she winds up having to take cover, but as she retreats into this adjacent room, she stumbles upon the corpse of Sarah, who's lying in a rather unpleasant state, if you ask me. (laughs) Susie then escapes further into these hidden rooms, and she winds up in the quarters of the directress. We can see the shadow of the directress lying in an apparently empty bed. But then Susie knocks over a rather peculiar statue of a peacock, and this awakens the directress, who begins to taunt Susie. So Susie arms herself with one of the broken-off feathers from the peacock statue. And just then, the reanimated corpse of Sarah bursts into the room, and Susie's basically trapped. And this forces Susie closer to the directress. But this flash of lightning reveals the silhouette of the invisible witch. And Susie stabs her. And with this very old and very arrogant, I might say, (laughs) witch dying, the coven collapses. And so too does the dance academy. So Susie makes a mad dash for the exit as the destruction she's caused just wreaks havoc all around her. But Susie manages to escape from the school. And we then notice a fire now raging inside. And that's the end of our movie. All witches erupt into flames. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that that look of Susie that she has on the end. You know, she's like smiling, almost laughing at like she's escaped. And just like the craziness of what's happened in her life in the past week, you know, and she's moving on from it it's uh, it's just great and then the movie ends you know i love a movie that just fucking ends (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was gonna say you know it's kind of an abrupt ending but you know what i think the story is there the direction is definitely there even if you found fault in this narrative i think the storytelling methods more than make up for it i'm not saying that this movie is style over substance But if it were, Danny, this would be style over substance done right. (laughs) It's almost a meeting of the two. It's almost the perfect middle ground, you know. There's certainly enough story and there's artistic elements galore for you to enjoy if you're into that. If you're a visual filmmaker. So it's all good. And that is Suspiria. Any final thoughts on Suspiria, Danny? 
Well, what can I say that uh, hasn't already been said? I mean, I think this film is great. I think if you're into horror, you owe it to yourself to go watch this film. And I don't know. I just appreciate Italian filmmaking and Italian horror. Like, it's just so fun. And so far of what Sean has picked, I don't think there's been a miss. <laughs> I know he has his love-hate relationship with it, but... uh I'm a fan for sure so far, and Suspiria does not miss at all. I think it's pretty much a perfect film and a film that anyone could really enjoy. So, yeah, you should go watch it. It's uh, really good. And it's the perfect season to watch it if you haven't or if you had. Like I said, great one for Halloween night. Absolutely. Well, like you said, Danny, that was Suspiria. This is the start of our October horror celebration. We got one down now, but before we really finish it off, we got to find out what your favorite kill and favorite scene were. So let's start with favorite kill. Well, my favorite kill might be a shocker to you, but I have to go with Daniel, the pianist. That is a shocker. You really got to lay this one on me. Well, so we have Daniel in this like courtyard or I don't know what you want to call it, but he's like, he feels something off, you know, his dog is barking and, you know, every direction he looks in, it's just darkness. And I feel like as a viewer, I was like, man, what's going to happen? You know, it really leaves you on edge. And then when we finally do get the payoff of this scene where the dog just up and attacks Daniel and bites him in the throat. I was like, holy shit, I didn't expect that, <laughs> you know? And I just thought it was uh, really creative and really out of nowhere for me. And I like those kills where I don't know what's going to happen next. So it took me by surprise. And, you know, say what you will about this dog puppet, but when he's chewing at that neck meat, the dog is pulling that neck meat off of Daniel and you see a little bit of it in the corner of the frame. It's just nasty and gnarly and I like it. I like this kill. I'm a fan. Right on. Yeah, once it's clearly eating some real meat, it's pretty gruesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, it shows you the power of the coven that right. they can turn your greatest ally against you. So good choice. You're right. Very surprising, but good choice for sure. So Sean, what's your favorite kill? I'm not sure if this is going to surprise you or not. And I just want to start out by saying, I find that I'm using the phrase capture my imagination a lot, but I guess that's kind of the point of favorite kill and favorite scene, right? And that's exactly what the stalking and murder of Sarah does. It captures my imagination. Well, I have to chime in because the stalking of Sarah, I put this as my favorite scene just because I feel like it extends beyond kill, in my opinion. Right on. So uh, we'll both uh, revel in it right now. For me, there's something about when she falls into the bundles of barbed wire that I just find so striking. It's so strange. Like, why is this here? And at the same time, it's just utterly horrifying. (laughs) 
Like, never mind the fact. I, I, like I said, it's the first Saw kill. <laughs> <laughs> never mind the fact that it's obvious that there's no barbs or razor on this wire. It's still just very haunting. And it's... Yeah, it, but it, even still, it's hard to watch. <laughs> yeah, and this actress just sells it so well. And then we get that gnarly and just gratuitous throat slashing. Like, I'm not sure how this effect was achieved, but I have to think there was some real meat used here because you literally see layer upon layer of flesh getting torn as the blade <laughs> slides across it. You, yeah, you see vocal cord and fat and meat and layers and layers. It's... It's nasty, and it's all up close. It's a close-up shot. It's gruesome, man. Yeah, gruesome is exactly... You took the words right out of my mouth, and <laughs> it's the perfect way to cap off an incredible sequence. So this is your favorite scene, then? Just from the moment where Sarah realizes that uh, the people in the hall are near, and she turns off the lights, and then is immediately bathed in that beautiful green lighting and we just live in it you know like i said earlier we live in these scenes as in suspiria and we really feel sarah's fear here <laughs> as she's just like trying not to make any noise and making her way and running away from that killer and frantically stacking the luggage on top of each other to reach that window and I don't know how Sarah didn't look down and see all that barbed wire <laughs> in this pit, <laughs> but somehow she did. And that's okay. I can forgive it for it because just this whole sequence is just played so great. And we get these moments of like silence. Like I wanted to bring up like the soundtrack is amazing, but I feel like Argento also uses silence as a part of the soundtrack and i feel like it's highlighted here but we do also get more of the amazing tunes for suspiria here and it's just overall my favorite scene and i was just taken aback like you know this is just a piece of art that i'm viewing on a screen and it's just so well done and hats off to not only argento but everyone involved in the making of this film just amazing hey like i said you know when you talk about his use of silence i couldn't agree more because i already mentioned how i love when the killer puts the blade through the door and all you hear is them fidgeting with the latch you know right it's like oh no they're trying to get in and you're trapped oh so good <laughs> yeah i didn't even talk about it but yeah that, that just he keeps cutting to that you know just the straight razor trying to kick the latch up and it's just like oh man like it's just so tense but also so slow and just dreadfully painful to watch and witness awesome so sean lay it on us give us your favorite scene in suspiria Come on, man. You know me. <laughs> and you know what it is. It's the opening kill. And I love how you said you chose the Sarah moment because you felt it was so much more than just the kill. 
And that's exactly why I chose the opening kill as my favorite scene and not favorite kill, because it too is just so much more. Like, there's a reason that this opening kill is featured on countless lists revolving around the greatest moments in horror movie history. It's because it sticks with you. Whether you like this movie or not, you're going to have a hard time forgetting this scene. It's got great foreshadowing, excellent tension, good scares, and it all leads up to what is the most poetic and beautiful portrayal of brutal and bloody on-screen violence that I, for one, have ever seen. That's why I don't even mind that the blood looks like paint, Danny, because this transcends into something more. Like, I think we both agree that Suspiria is a masterpiece. But I would say that this opening kill transcends even this film. There's just something special about it. And then that masterful reveal of the double kill. Dario Argento is considered one of the masters of horror. And this scene sits at the top of the list of reasons why, if you ask me. Right on. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck Italians are using for blood, but uh, <laughs> blood is definitely not that bright and not uh, that one note in color. I don't know. <laughs> Alrighty, man. I think we delivered some tricks and some treats. We got three more weeks ahead of us. So what do you say we go ahead and get out of here? Yeah, we hope you stick with Fraternity for the rest of of October, we're delivering you three more fantastic episodes this month, and we're up in the spooks, up in the scares, so sit back, relax, and enjoy your two brothers over here at Fraternity. And this is Danny and Sean signing out. We'll see you next time. Have a great night, everybody. 